This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, September 22, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. Illinois is now the largest blue state to adopt a tax credit scholarship school choice program. At the State Policy Network annual meeting, I spoke with Jason Bedrick of EdChoice about what it means that so many states are adopting tax credit programs for K-12 schooling. Tax credit scholarships are something that are, you know, it's near and dear to your heart, of course. You're from New Hampshire, and New Hampshire now has uh, a tax credit scholarship plan that is growing in popularity. Uh, many states have adopted these. They are very strong in terms of withholding, con- with, withstanding constitutional scrutiny. And now Illinois, uh, as you noted before we started recording, is the largest blue state to adopt uh, tax credit scholarships. Why did they do it? What was the what was the thing that made it happen? Right. So there was a uh, a battle over the school funding bill between the governor and uh, the legislature. Uh, the governor wanted uh, pension reform. Uh, the legislature was not in a mood to give it to him, and uh, it seems that they compromised by. Uh, giving the governor this tax credit scholarship program. So uh, Illinois is now the 18th uh, state in the nation to adopt tax credit scholarships. Like vouchers, they help students attend the school of their choice. Uh, The difference is that whereas a voucher is publicly funded, tax credit scholarships are privately funded. So uh, individual or corporate donors uh, make contributions to nonprofit scholarship organizations. In return, they get a tax credit. In Illinois, it's a 75% tax credit. In other states, it ranges from 50% to 100% of their donation. Uh, And then the scholarship organization funds low-income kids uh, to attend the school of their choice. What has been, uh, in states, what has been the uh, distribution of kids in terms of income and uh, race for these kinds of scholarships? So we don't have a ton of great data from many states, but uh, the largest in the country is Florida. Florida this year just surpassed the 100,000 mark. They've got 105,000 students uh, participating in their program. Uh, There are about 250,000 students nationwide. So, I mean, they're just under half. Uh, Florida has um, 70% of their scholarship recipients are black or Hispanic and the average family income is only $25,000 for a family of four. It's uh, just a few percentage points over the federal poverty line. So these programs uh, nationwide really are serving the most disadvantaged students. So 18 states, you said, uh, have these uh, plans. What have have been the results that we've seen from some of the longest uh, plans in existence? So there's actually not been a lot of academic research on uh, tax credit scholarships themselves, uh, in, in part because what you want is a random assignment trial. So most of the studies of the effects of, of school choice have been on voucher programs. Uh, and consistently, at least until a few years ago, uh, all the random assignment studies found neutral to positive effects. Uh, recently in Louisiana, uh, there was a study that uh, did find an, a, a significant negative effect in the first couple years. Uh, But this year they released uh, the year three results and they were 
statistically insignificant. So after a few years, uh, these students are uh, catching up after you know they leave a school. There's some amount of disruption. Also, uh, in Louisiana, the schools had to take had to administer the state test, which they hadn't been used to doing. But it seems that after a few years, uh, they are even while receiving about half the funding, they are performing on par with um, their non-school choice peers. There was also a, a silver standard study in Illinois, sorry, in, in uh, Indiana, which found something very similar, that in the first few couple years, there was a, a negative impact, and then by years three and four, there was, a, it, was it was neutral or even slightly positive. So uh, in the long run, these programs are, are helping students uh, achieve more academically, uh, and also uh, graduate at higher rates, go to uh, college at higher rates, uh, and even Corey DeAngelis, who's, who's now my replacement here at the Cato Institute, now that I've moved over to EdChoice, uh, Corey had a study uh, a few years ago which uh, found uh, lower rates of uh, being arrested or, or committing crimes, which is very important for a student's future life outcomes. All right. So uh, with respect to uh, tax credit scholarships, uh, one innovation that we're seeing a lot in states now is uh, education savings accounts. And do those two programs, well, first of all, explain what an education savings account does and how it functions. Yeah, the, the difference between a, a voucher and a, an education savings account is this. A voucher is a coupon. So if you have a $5,000 voucher, you redeem it at one place at one time, right, at one school. Uh, with an ESA, you have a restricted-use bank account. So those funds uh, would be deposited into an account that parents could use. In some states, they use a restricted-use debit card. Uh, and they can then purchase a wide variety of educational products and services. So private school tuition, but also tutoring, textbooks, online courses, uh, educational therapy. And they could save unused funds, roll it over from year to year for later expenses. Okay, so ESAs are allow parents then to combine different kinds of services to design their own sort of educational program for their children. That's right. And uh, in Arizona, for example, uh, which was the first state to adopt tax credits and the first state a few years ago to adopt ESAs, uh, in Arizona, um, more than a third of families are using the ESA for uh private school tuition, or uh, these other things. Uh, so many of them are doing both. They're using private school tuition, and then in the afternoon, they've got tutoring or whatever. Uh, and then just, just under a third, actually, are using it uh, for just not even going to a private school at all, just completely customizing their child's education. All right. So what is the overlap, or is there overlap, between these uh, tax credit scholarships that people donate to uh, these groups, and then those groups... Uh, distribute money to parents for their children's education. What's the overlap there between that, the ESAs and tax credit scholarships? Right. So there are, are six programs right now that, uh, six states that have ESA programs that are publicly funded. Uh, New Hampshire was the first tax credit scholarship program that said you could use these funds for private school tuition or you could use these funds for these other things like in the ESA states. This year, New Hampshire revised their law, so they said it's, it's more like an ESA. You can't roll over unused funds from year to year. There's no physical account, um, but they can use their scholarship funds 
for tuition or a wide variety of these other services. And it's, that seems that, that ESAs, and I know that tax credit scholarships, uh, at least in New Hampshire, have been used for homeschooling as well. That's right. But ESAs seem to be more geared toward that type of education. Yeah, especially many of the programs right now that are ESAs are, are limited to students of special needs. Uh, who obviously have uh, a wide variety of, of educational needs and, and, and therapeutic needs outside a traditional classroom. So these families are, are, are doing just a, a very wide variety of things. I mean, things I wouldn't even have thought of, uh, equine therapy, for example, um, for students with cerebral palsy so that they can, um, well, I guess when they, you know, they have, they have a hard time just with balance, uh, never mind going on a playground or something. Uh, but once these students uh, are riding horses, it sort of helps rewire their brains so that they can function um, like more typical students. All right. So uh, what are we likely to see in the next few years? Um, the uh, Supreme Court recently dealt with the uh, Trinity Lutheran case, or as I called it, the playground case, over the ability for churches to receive, uh, participate in a neutral program to provide surface uh, items or used tires for playground equipment, uh, that has pointed to, at the very least, an openness by the Supreme Court to grapple with uh, so many states that have so-called Blaine Amendments. Yes. Well, first I should mention that uh, we just had a Blaine Amendment case again this year in Georgia. So that was the, the Gaddy decision, where once again um, a state Supreme Court, in this case unanimously, ruled that uh, your private dollars do not become the government's money until it actually enters the uh, public treasury. So, uh, and that, was, that follows on with uh, the Supreme Court precedent as well. Exactly. So, uh, every single state Supreme Court to address this issue has thrown out this challenge uh, Alabama, Florida, New Hampshire, Arizona, et cetera. Uh, and there's even some precedent uh, in uh, Illinois as well. So, I don't think that there'll be a, a legal challenge there. Uh, and certainly, if there is, I, I don't think that they're going to win. Uh, but yes, the voucher programs, whereas, whereas tax credits have a 100% rate of being upheld as constitutional, in some cases, tax credits have, sorry, in some cases, vouchers have run up against the Blaine Amendment, which was uh, adopted by most states starting in the late 1800s with the um, nativist, know-nothing movement that was uh, explicitly anti-Catholic. And when the, the public schools in those days were, were essentially non-denominational Protestant, they taught the Bible, uh, they, they held prayer in school in a Protestant manner. So Catholics started opening their own schools, asking for tax dollars, and the Protestant elite said, oh, well, we have non-denominational schools. You're welcome to send your kids to our schools and we'll gladly Protestantize them for you. Uh, but you can't run your own sectarian schools. That, that, that term sectarian is the euphemism for Catholic. Uh, recently, uh, the, the Supreme Court of uh, Colorado struck down the state's um, voucher program. Actually, it, wasn't, it was the Douglas County voucher program uh, using the Blaine Amendment. The day after the U.S. Supreme Court announced its decision in Trinity, Trinity Lutheran, uh, which essentially said that uh, you cannot be denied a, a public benefit that you are otherwise eligible for just because you have an, a religious affiliation. They vacated that decision. So the U.S. Supreme Court said to the Colorado Supreme Court, that decision is gone. You need to rehear this case. 
in light of our ruling in Trinity Lutheran. Um, that doesn't guarantee that uh, after this eventually goes back up to the U.S. Supreme Court that uh, they are going to rule in favor of the voucher program, but uh, it's certainly an indication that uh, at least some members of the court believe that this case, which which you know supposedly was was narrowly ruled with regard to uh, tires uh, resurfacing, uh, actually has broader implications, including for school choice, so that you can't have a program that, uh, you know, a, a school would otherwise be eligible, but, oh, they have a Catholic affiliation. So even though a parent wants to choose the school and the parent is the, or the children are the ultimate beneficiaries, uh, you can't go to that school. I mean, that just seems uh, to violate the free exercise clause of the U.S. Constitution. When you were with us at the Cato Institute, uh and now at Ed Choice, we uh, have always gone over sort of recent reform efforts in, in various states. And we've had multiple, quote unquote, years of school choice in which uh, reform uh, seemed to be uh, doing very well. How was or how has been uh, legislative efforts in 2017? It's been a big year, uh, not a banner year. So uh, not a year of school choice, or as we had a year of educational choice when everyone was passing uh, education savings accounts. Uh, but it was, a, a, I would say, a, a strong year. So I believe that what we had called the year of educational choice, we had 19 programs, uh, new or expanded. Uh, this year, uh, there were 14 states plus uh, Congress uh, reauthorizing uh, the program in Washington, D.C. So 14 states plus D.C. where programs uh, new were newly adopted or expanded. I would say of those, the most exciting, uh, we got our sixth ESA program in uh, North Carolina and uh, in Arizona, they expanded their ESA program, which originally was just for students with special needs, then had expanded to uh, students that were attending schools that had a D or F rating, uh, so low-performing schools, uh, students on Native American reservations, uh, students who were uh, children of active-duty military personnel and a few other categories. They now expanded it to all students who were either entering kindergarten or who were switching out of a district school uh, and phasing this program into basically universal over time. So that was a, a very exciting development. Right now, there is an effort to repeal it. Um, there were a bunch of people that uh, filed petitions. Uh, they got enough signatures ostensibly to get it on the ballot in 2018, uh, but there's been a, a lot of fraud that's, that's been uncovered. Uh, so for example, things like one petition uh, or many petitions that that uh, were all in the same handwriting uh, or where the same person signed multiple times or several petitions in a row where line one was all one handwriting line two was all the same handwriting line three was a third person's handwriting as though they were going through the voter rolls and just passing it around a table uh, paid volunteers who didn't check off that they were paid or who were convicted felons and so were not eligible, lots of things like that. Uh, the question is what the courts are going to do with that. Uh, if the courts do throw out all of these ballots that have been challenged, then or, or all these uh, signatures and the petitions that were, that, that were challenged, then they might not have enough signatures to get on the ballot. Um, but if not, then uh, we'll see what happens next. 
Jason Bedrick is Director of Policy for Ed Choice. We spoke at the State Policy Network Annual Meeting in San Antonio. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>